0: by riverside
1: What's going on everybody? I officially got the promotion to host instead of co-host cuz on this fine Sunday evening, Dan does not want to host. So welcome back to the backside ground balls podcast. Very excited for our third episode, I believe, of the off season, maybe fourth. Um, you know, we're trudging through this off season, trying to get as much baseball content as we can. And with that, we have a very special episode for our, our OG of the OG of the OG listeners have heard from this guy before we have had him on our former podcast backside ground balls podcast volume one on the old logo the old podcast everything like that we have Oakland A's minor league pitcher Colin Palouse Colin welcome back how are you doing today
0: I'm doing good how you guys doing good to be back
1: yeah, can't complain, can't complain. We're not going to give Dan a chance to speak because he didn't want to, you know, want to talk. So, uh now Dan, SEC champs, how are we feeling? Quick.
2: Uh good. You know, they kind of makes this season anything that happens from now on. Obviously, you draw Ohio State in the semifinal game, so um, that's, that's going to be a tough game, but you know you follow up a national championship by having 15 guys drafted, and then you follow it up the next season by going 13-0 and winning an SEC championship, something the last year's team didn't do. So I'm excited. I'm satisfied. You go win or lose here in, on New Year's Eve, I think you're happy, and, and uh, early signing period I think is going to continue to make Georgia fans happy because don't be surprised if they overtake Alabama for the number one recruiting class, which means they're just going to continue to be as good as they've been. So I'm about as happy as happy can be. And Stetson Bennett is awesome. Yeah. No no denying any of that there. Playoff expansion on the
1: horizon. College football is changing. Tomorrow might be the the beginning of the end for all we know with the transfer portal opening up. So – Whether we get on a podcast here and just completely (laughs) change our name to establish the run, because nowadays it's a national podcast and uh, and we can just talk about that sport like it's like it's the Sunday league and and all things like that. That'll be a conversation for another day. But um, before we get into the nitty gritty of of the interview with Colin and asking him some questions, I do want to talk about the MLB offseason free agent signing Jacob deGrom is no longer going to be a New York Met. he signs with for five years 185 million total for 37 million a pop with the Texas Rangers Dan when you hear that what what are you thinking
2: for I, a lot I, a lot of things when I saw the alert on Friday I think it was Friday right I was kind of like a lot of a lot of ranges of thinking one, thankfully, like, wow, somebody actually signed and it's December. It's early December. This is awesome. Good job, MLB. First time that's happened in years. We don't. Have Good to job,
1: Texas end. Rangers, too. Yeah,
2: right. We don't have to wait till the end of January to finally get some news. I appreciate it. Um, and then it's one of those things that's weird because it's a huge contract, obviously. And you look at who Jacob deGrom is and what he's been and it's like, yeah, well, he deserves that. But could it? be bad at the end of it yes but i think anytime you go into a deal with someone like de or you know bryce harper or all the shortstops that are going to get a ton of a ton of money in years you you kind of go well what's that going to look like at the end of the deal right um even max scherzer who signed for a couple years it's like well what's he going to look like in a couple more years yeah. so it's it was one of those things but for the rangers i mean i i don't think it's bad for the rangers like you Good, good for the, the Texas Rangers, get a little bit better, start to compete a little bit more. You you paid the two middle infielders last year a ton of money and didn't do anything. So you needed some pitching. You got Martin Perez back on the um, qualifying offer, which was shocking to me because I think Perez could have made a lot of money, but clearly he's happy where he's at. And then you get DeGrom to be the front end of that. Now you just got to hope that he stays healthy. Obviously there's some injury concern there, but I, that doesn't mean they shouldn't have signed this contract and Honestly, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in the Mets um, GM rooms because I I wonder if it was just like we got outbid, guys. Like, yeah, we wanted to bring him back. We gave him a great offer, but we didn't want to give him that many years because I don't know what Jacob DeGrom, who's battled injuries the last two years, is going to look like when he's 39 years old. And I don't think think the Mets are necessarily wrong for that either. Am I happy that, like, the Mets got a little bit worse as a fan? Yeah, I am. But, I mean, I, I think they made the right move. I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, and b- Colin, before because I do want a little bit of your opinion on on what it's going to be like to tow the slab against Jacob Degrom in a divisional uh, game on Sunday Night Baseball in a couple of years. Here, um, I do want to say a couple things. Just and you know, this is a, a I texted you about this. This was kind of what we were kind of pl- trending to talk about before. We obviously were lucky enough to get Colin on here, but are models changing with the perception of what made the value of major league pitchers are and the length of their careers? Because you look at Verlander, you look at Scherzer, you look at all these guys, like guys are continuing to extend, like peaks are now 27 to 35. It seems like it's not like hitters that are 21 to 28. And how are analytics departments changing? How are they adapting? And does something in the Texas Rangers model say, this guy doesn't have the mileage on his arm that, Clayton Kershaw has. He doesn't like. Obviously, you have the injury concerns, but people thought Max Scherzer's seven-year contract was going to blow up in the Nationals' face, and then he went on and for more years with the Mets for more money and everything like that. So, how is that changing in the game of baseball that pitchers are kind of learning themselves later and everything like that? So, again, that's a, that is a conversation that that goes beyond just the 10 minutes that we want to five to 10 minutes that we want to give it today but colin when you see you know that contract for a guy like jacob de as obviously as a guy who's you know grinding through the minor leagues and everything like that like you obviously appreciate what jacob de is what do you see from his game that thinks maybe like this is going to be a worthwhile contract for the texas rangers
0: i'm pretty biased but I think DeGrom is probably, like, the top pitcher in baseball. I don't think, like, anybody else can really get to that level and be as good as he is consistently. Obviously, there's the injury issues that he's had the last couple years. He's kind of been back and forth. But if he can stay healthy for those four or five years with the Rangers, I think they're going to be easily in contention to win a pennant, even go to the World Series, just – with how good he is. They already got Simeon and Seager. Obviously, Simeon had a rough year, but he's probably going to pick it right back up. And for them to sign the best pitcher in baseball, they're going in the right direction. I think they're going to figure stuff out really soon. in their farm system, just playing them the past couple years, they got some dudes coming up that I've played against. So I think they're in a really good spot to be competitive next pretty much five years that they have DeGrom. Yeah. And,
1: and that, that's kind of the thought process as well as like, I think Seager, I mean, Seager, people don't know this Seager because he's an all around hitter. He uses the whole field. He had the most hits taken away from the shift. Um, I sent that to Dan uh, probably a week ago. That surprised me that Seager was on the top. So you're seeing a guy that's probably going to, who's already an above average offensive player, especially at the shortstop position, probably continue to get better. And then you factor in the fact that Josh junk's coming, he played well in the major leagues, and Nathaniel Lowe is sneaky a stud, a stud like those are four guys in their lineup at the big league level now that are locked up for the foreseeable future, and the big thing's going to come down to their player development on the pitching side is right the you know I think John Gray's a two I think he's a serviceable two I think his stuff's good enough to be a two you see the improvements he made getting out of Colorado, but the World Series teams have. Two ones, right? There's the Max Scherzer, the Degroms, the the pitching staffs that have those top two guys. I mean, you even look at the Houston Astros; they have 17 of them that can pitch at the top of a rotation in the big leagues. But so if they can develop, continue to develop Gray, and hopefully get him to be another one of those guys that kind of, you know, gets his career heading in the right direction at the late 20s, early 30s. And next thing you know, we're talking about him a different way and also fill out those four and five spots with in-house because obviously a lot of money is going to be Tied up in Perez and Degrom, you're going to have to fill those guys in house. You're starting to talk about, and also bullpen. Their bullpen was very bad last year. That comes from player development in house. You're talking about a team that there's no reason they shouldn't be putting people in those seats um, come next April in the new stadium because I know that's a lot of their motivation for for adding to this team. And who knows? Maybe Clayton Kershaw wants to come there for a one year deal and, and head that staff with with the ground that is just absolutely came right off the head. I don't have any (laughs) knowledge of (laughs) whether that would actually happen or not. So um, interesting. It's good to see the off season heading in the right direction. Like Dan said, it's December and we're actually able to talk about a free agent signing. We thought we were going to be panic podcasting in in February, trying to get guys into, into camps before the season started. So um, any last thoughts on that, Dan, it looks like you were leaning towards the microphone to say something, but
2: well, I just I, – a couple of things. There's a lot to, to unpack there. The, the one thing – I'm not ready to say that the team's models are changing on pitchers when you're talking about a guy like DeGrom yet. Like, because it's Jacob DeGrom, like, I, it, it's different. Like, we're talking about different terms. If we're signing guys that are two or threes, like, to to five-year contracts so they can pitch into their late 30s, that's one thing. But you're talking about Jacob DeGrom. Like, it, yeah. sh- pay him till he's 45 for all yeah. I care. Like oh, he's the big, like they could have given yeah. him a twenty year contract and I'd have been like you know it might look bad at the end but hey he might not be good at fifty <laughs> two but, 52, get, but you, right now yeah. if you get Jacob Degrom for the next three four years it's worth it pay yes. him till he's fifty yes. two so I'm not ready to say that they're changing models and then I mean like Colin said like the Rangers I mean obviously he knows a lot more about the Rangers minor league system than than I do from playing against those guys but if they can get some young guys in in into that into their big league club and start to play a little bit better baseball and have a little more balance in their lineup. So it's not just like Seager, Simeon at nothing. Um, and I don't know how much, like you said, Nathaniel Lowe is, is a stud. So like it's coming and, and then they're going to be a good team soon, which is exciting because um, it's fun when some of these teams who have been bad for a few years, start to get better. Uh, yeah. But we'll see.
1: Yeah. The Kershaw and, thing I don't and,
2: think is going to happen. I think Kershaw is going to stay in LA.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, why would you want to leave Southern California? No, honestly, right. but, um, so, like I said, we got a whole off offseason. Um, hopefully the Rangers do have a couple more moves coming. But obviously we're we're super fired up to have you on here, Colin. So, you know, just give us a brief rundown on, on how this season went. I know we were kind of in communication with, you know, through text. And I know we have a group chat together. So we kind of throw some stuff in there every so often. But how'd the season go? How hot is Texas? Does the ball fly down there? Well, give us the lay of the land there.
0: Uh, it was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, I'd say it started out pretty well, kind of felt good for the first month, and then stuff kind of just hit the fan for two months. I was kind of just stuck. I think it was a lot on me. I started like changing my routines and stuff, trying to figure out what was going wrong when what uh, I was doing before was probably better than trying to switch up all of what I was doing. But had a rough pretty much two months, but Towards the end of the year, I think I finally started to clean things up and get better mentally out there rather than just going out there and just throwing, just seeing red, seeing fastball, throwing as hard as you can, more of having a plan each at-bat, each pitch instead of just going out there and just chucking. But, yeah, Texas was brutally hot for probably two, two, three months, 100 100 degrees almost every day. Uh, It was super dry, kind of like Arizona is, just – no humidity. You just got cotton mouth the whole time. You're just really just, you're really just baking in an oven, but, uh, we enjoyed it. I mean, Midland is kind of in the middle of nowhere, so there's not a lot to do, but I think our clubhouse was really fun. We found ways to make it fun, you know, with each other instead of just saying, Oh, we're in Midland. It's going to be miserable. Like, uh, yeah. don't let that, we don't want to let that like part of us tear down our baseball career, but you know, it was a roller coaster of the year, but, uh, went to the fall league and thought I finished it out pretty strong. So I'm happy with how I ended up and feel pretty good going in the off season and going in the next year.
1: That's what it, that's what it's all about, you know. You finish strong. The the qu- first question that comes to mind, other than pitching in a hundred degree heat with a pitch clock, which we will I want your pers- perspective on one hundred percent and how that impacts you. But you know, how easy is it to question? everything you're doing when you're playing at that level. And what I mean by that is like when you're just playing against every, everybody's so talented and every level you go up, like double A is so much better than high A and and everything of that nature. These guys are so much more talented. How do you differentiate between I'm doing something wrong and I'm just in a rut and I need to keep w- doing what I'm doing?
0: Uh, I think this year was like the first time in a, like a little bit where I was like, I need to figure something out here soon or stuff's going to get really bad really quick so I think I think it's just a matter of like sticking to your routine a lot more because I got out of it like I said I started trying new stuff like thinking like oh my like my fastball is really bad slider sucks change up I'm just like thinking in my head like what's happening like is everything really bad in reality it's not it's just not executing it each day it's it's just going out there, like I said, just throwing instead of having a plan with each day. So I think I just kind of got into a rough spot where I didn't have good plans and good routines every day and just kind of got lost. But pitching coach was really nice. Chris Smith, he pitched in the big leagues for a little while, like very intelligent. And him and I would sit down a lot and talk over hitters, talk over mental plans, like what pitch to set up here, like like that sort of stuff. I, I charted every single game this year. I'd sit next to the coach. I'd sit there with the track band. I'd write down pitches, locations. So I, I really didn't start doing that till like, the middle of the season when I was in that, in that tough spot, and that really helps me, you know, make my mental game and just make the pitching game a little better.
2: You said something a, a couple minutes ago that, if you don't mind, I kind of want you to, to go deeper into because I know we have some college guys who listen to this. Um, you were talking about how instead of just going out there and seeing red – and just throwing as hard as you can to try and muscle, you know, your fastball by guys, which you have a a really good fastball. Um, because obviously at that level, guys can hit your fastball, so you have to really pitch. Oh. What were some of the like when you when you talk about thinking through at bats? Can you just kind of walk us through like what thinking through an at bat looks like?
0: Um, yeah, I, I think if, I think it would just obviously depend on who the hitter is, like who who you have at the plate, like what their strengths are, what your what their weaknesses are, but. Um, I'd say like I would say.
2: Hmm. So I guess like say, if if you have if you have a guy who's coming to like are you is it is obviously situationally dependent too right so yeah you, that's, it's that's different if it's the to, first inning with a leadoff like the first guy that's coming up to the yeah. plate that's different than if it's the second or third time a guy's seeing you and you got the bases loaded now in a tight game but mm-hmm. I guess for me it's more of those things that like you know because Trevor and I like to talk about the mental side of things a lot and how sometimes thinking less can help guys, but in your situation, it sounds to me like it's almost like, okay, if I have a if I have a plan and I can just dive into that plan and know that if I execute, I'm good to go. Like, it's so, okay, this guy I understand from reports that he doesn't, you know, he struggles with sliders, so I need to get it over here. Is it mm-hmm. that type of approach when you're attacking someone?
0: Yes, for sure. I think I was just, like, thinking of, like, situational stuff. Like, yeah. I had a situation in, in the fall league. I had guys on first and third. And uh, I had Mason Wynn at the plate, who I faced the whole year, and I knew that he struggled with sliders down and away. And so that whole at-bat, my whole plan was either I'm okay with walking this guy because then the bases are loaded, then I have free outs at any bag, but I don't want to miss middle. So I'm going sliders and fastballs low down and away, so you can either roll over and get a ground ball or I just walk them, so what, get the next guy. So, like, those sort of things, like, really helps me out there instead of just, you know, I'm sure earlier in the year if I had that same situation, I'm just blowing fastballs, like, just, I'm going to blow by them. And in reality, the hitters are so good nowadays, 93, 94, they see that every every single day. It's not like it's something new. So you have to have better, better plans of just not just throwing that and just hoping that they miss it because it's, quote, hard when in reality that's becoming the new brand of baseball is you know high velocity you know a lot of strikeouts a lot of home runs sort of thing
2: and was that like a was it when did that light bulb go off for you was that something that your pitching coach was like hey what do you like did you guys sit down and go like here's what we need to be thinking through was that something that just from experience because you've now logged so many innings in minor league baseball like was it something that was just like oh I just need to be going after these guys the right way instead of just trying to you know muscle everything up
0: Yeah, that's what I think. So like last year in high A, I think I I got away with a lot of stuff. Obviously, you know, you don't have as many great hitters. You still might have like two or three a lineup where you're like, okay, these guys are very competitive, have good approaches. But for the most part, sometimes you can get away with just, you know, high heat up in the zone or just 40 foot sliders. And then you get the double A and you have, you know, five to seven guys a lineup that are close to big league ready that are almost there so you have to just have a better plan a better idea and just not just go out there and throw but set things up in a way
2: how often are you are you pitching to your strengths and are you pitching to your hitters weaknesses because that's something we talked about a couple of weeks ago whereas like I know it when I was working at the division two level as a pitching coach and I'm working through a lineup like a lot of times my default was like well this is my guy out on the mound's best stuff but at your level, how much of it is you like, okay, this is my best pitch. So when I need it, this is what I'm going to go to. And how much of it is like I'm going after this guy's weaknesses because I know from reports that he struggles here.
0: I'd say it's a, it's a steady mix. But for me, I'd say it's pitching to your strengths. I think when you say like I'm going to pitch to their weaknesses, you're kind of giving in to them. You're like, I'm not going to use my best stuff. I'm going to use what they can hit. So I've always been a guy to like – go out there with my best stuff instead of like trying to play to their weaknesses. Cause I mean, I've always had issues with just off speed stuff. So I've always been a fastball guy. And so I think a lot, there are a lot of times this year that those two months I was kind of lost. I was like trying to manipulate like my slider and just trying to, you know, get it located here. And then next thing you know, it's backed up instead of like pitching to my strengths, which for me, right-handed hitters, I'm trying to go up and in at them. And then lefties, I'm trying to go up and in at them too. So I think it's just a matter of like figuring out like who the hitter is. Obviously, you can pitch to their weaknesses. There, there's some hitters that can't hit a slider. There's some hitters that can't hit high fastballs. But I think it's, it's going out there with your strengths, knowing that this is my best pitch. This guy has no shot against it. Instead of like, this is his weakness. Let me try and make sure I get it there. And the next thing you know... You leave it over the plate,
2: right? So you
1: talk about that balance between obviously pitching to your strengths and obviously the hitter's weakness. You know when you know with me being at the division three level last year, Dan being at the division two level. You know, we're using little mini cameras up in the corner of some dugout sometimes for our scouting reports, right? I wasn't a big scouting report guy. I'm very big, especially hitting-wise. It's a conversation that we could get into. But I got to get eyes on a guy because that day, see how his stuff's moving, see how our hitters are reacting, and we make split adjustments in the first inning, right? That was always how I processed. I was able to process that information quicker. You know, for example, we saw one guy – Late in the year, last weekend of the season, he was cutting his fastball. We see him the next week. His cutter now becomes a slider, more depth, more movement. He was a different guy. It was the weirdest thing in the world. So our hitters had to adjust. Our game plan was different. Walk us through what getting a scouting report is like at double a and what are things that you specifically look for to decide whether you attack a weakness or just flat out pitch to your strength and also what are the data points you look at are you a video guy how does that whole process work
0: I think I'm more of like a throughout the year type of guy because with now with how like the scheduling is you're playing you're playing the same team six days in a row and so I was fortunate I was pitching on Fridays and Saturdays so, I wasn't a big, like, sit down and watch, like, video, like, O two misses, because obviously everybody's going to swing at, you know, junk in the dirt, but you can't use that in a way because the pitcher probably set that up. You can't just say, oh, I'm just going to bounce breaking balls. I'm just going to throw high heat. Like, there's ways to set those up, but I was always a big, like I said, like I had the chart in the dugout. I would, like, chart the pitches, but... It was more of just, like, one or two, th- like, maybe one thing a hitter. Like, like watching guys that are similar builds to me, so, uh, for instance, like Jeff Criswell, like, mid, you know, low to mid-90s fastball, like, good slider. He's got a plus changeup, but uh, that doesn't matter. But I would like <laughs> to watch guys that had, like, similar builds to, like, my repertoire so then I could use what they were using in the game that had success and try to play that into my game to make you know make similar uh similar strides that's kind of how like I like to look at it but our coach would have like a powerpoint and a video report uh like the first game of the series it was mainly for relievers uh like the first like that first game but we stopped doing that middle of the season because we played each team you know four or five times so I, I kept all of my my charts. I had them all in my locker room, I, like in my locker. So every time I would play the set, like the team, I'd go back and like look at my chart. Like oh, I was successful here with this guy. This guy struggled with this, like sort of thing. So I like to build off of just experience through the years. And the hitters are doing the same thing. So they're probably looking like oh, he beat me with this. I still beat you with that. I'm still gonna go with that because I beat you with it. But yeah. I just like I like to watch the game and see how hitters are one thing I learned like a lot this year is like hitters like watching hitters timing you don't see it as a pitcher you don't see like you know hands feet then go or if it's like hands backwards sort of thing so I could see that from the side in the dugout and our pitching coach would always like say you see that now he's at the mercy of like your pitch so I was always a big like try to watch the game and like feel it out type of guy rather than sit down and just watch you know watch somebody swing at oh two pitches that weren't even close to the zone because <laughs> I, I think that, I don't think that helps because then you're like oh I can just bounce into there to will swing at it's like no he swung at that because he the pitcher like got to that pitch
1: yeah so it, it I mean that's that's awesome And and you talk about obviously facing hitters a lot and Is it something that hitters are just that dumb and stupid that they do the same things in in at-bat after at-bat that you can kind of attack them the same way? Or is that the difference between the five to seven guys that you talked about and the eight and nine that are kind of in the double-A level where they can't make that adjustment? Like, how do you adapt? Do you wait till a guy clips you with, like, even if it's a hard hit out before you adjust? How how does that process work?
0: I've always been a big, like, if it's working, like, if they – until they prove that they can finally hit whatever pitch it is or however you're attacking them there's if it ain't broke like don't fix it there's no reason to change anything you're doing but I'm not a hitter so I'm not sure how they think I'm sure maybe it's like a oh he's not going to do it like is he going to do it sort of thing but that's that's just my opinion
1: it it depends on the hitter i i know i was a classic overthinker so i'd be like well he just did this so maybe he's gonna do this and then usually they would do the thing that he just did because you know baseball is a simple game at at that point Mm so um
0: i think like for me like a lot of like i'm a heavy fastball guy everybody everybody knows that like uh i was in fall league and uh drew millis walked by me he got traded last year and he was like, are you going to give me one today." I'm like, you know what's coming. He was like, I sure do. So I'm sure like, like all the hitters know like I'm a heavy fastball guy. And it's a matter of like are they going to be on time for it or am I going to just flip in one for a strike here and they're going to be off time?
2: Well, and I just – you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like hitting is just it's, – it's to the point now where especially with the – you're talking about how, you know, 94 is now average velo – So it's like with guys with the stuff that they have, and then you have ridiculous breaking stuff. And I know you talk about how below you call your slider below average, but I would call it pretty dang good, especially when it's on. So like you're talking about 94, 95, and then you break something off like that. Like I think too, right? Like same thing from a hitting perspective where you got to stay in your strengths too. Like so if Mm -hmm. a guy's just beating you sometimes, right? Ryan Zimmerman used to go up there and and say that if he wasn't looking for a breaking ball and if a guy threw three in a row in the zone, he'd tip his cap and walk back to the dugout, right? Mm So – For you, it's like that's just to me, like I I kind of appreciate that mindset of like, here it comes. Like, this is what I do. This is what I do best, whether you know it or not. Like, that this is what I can do. So, I'm going to come after you with it.
0: Mm -hmm. I'd say most like in, uh, in the fall, every time I was starting guys off with fastballs, I was just aiming for the catcher's mask. And I mean, they knew it was coming. A lot of people knew it was coming. It was just a matter of if I hit my spot or if the hitter was guessing the right pitch or if he was not on time sort of thing it's that's kind of how I feel like I feel like I'm out there like you know it's coming are you ready for it or you know something else gonna happen
2: what's the uh so you obviously now this is two years in a row where you've logged a a lot of innings um what's the routine like of have you fully adjusted now would you say to to having that much workload over that many months of once a week you're going out there and, and trying to get you know 18 outs
0: I would say so. Yeah, it it took some time. I think last year was a good learning point to get into a good routine each week, knowing like what works for me, what rehab, but like soft tissue, what other stuff like worked for me last year. And I took that into this year. And obviously you get I was fatigued in the fall. I mean, Velo was down, but my body felt good. I was out there every day. I'm like, I feel great. It's just, you know, I'm down a tick or two. But I think that's what I like. That's why I like, like to preach a lot is getting on a good routine each week and having that set each week and not. It doesn't mean you can't branch off, but just having like the set, like s- the s- certain things that you like to do each week, like locked in, not trying to do crazy stuff.
1: So w- walk us through your seven day then. Like what? Give us why, what you kind of do, what worked for you, and, and even if you don't mind, what didn't work. And you can even throw in 18 holes on Monday if that was part of it.
0: <laughs> so I'd say if I pitched on – I'd say I'd pitch on like a Thursday, throw whatever. Uh, Friday was always was always a mobility sort of like day. It was always like get dig in your body a little bit because it's going to be – you're, you're sore. I'm – really sore like usually after games so the day after was a big mobility like trying to get the body moving like sweating a lot just like trying to make sure that i'm not stiffening up i would always play catch the day after i played catch every day i've always been a believer in playing catch every day so that first day was always a big mobility obviously i would do soft tissue i'd get some cups or some other just grasping on like my arm and other places were sore so then that'd be Friday. Saturday is, Saturday is usually like, uh, I'm the most sore. I've always been a second day soreness person. And I always like to lift on that day rather than lifting the day after cause I always just felt super fatigued. Like that day after I'm just like, I just want to roll out a little bit, just like get the body moving, loosen things up, prepare myself for the next day, which is usually a pretty good lift. Uh, we, we were a trainer. We were on a pretty good routine for our lower body. So, so pitch Thursday, Friday would be mobility Saturday, be pretty much a lower body lift Sunday. It'd be the bullpen day plus an upper body lift. And so I would treat my bullpen days like a game day because I'd like to keep, you know, keep that same intensity, that mindset, like that workload, like all the same. Cause I don't like to have a, a bullpen where i'm just you know 50 because i'm not getting anything out of that i'm not i'm it's not like translating to the mound from your bullpen after that so sunday would be the bullpen day we had off mondays play 18 holes win a couple of games though. <laughs> there you and go. then um we play on two so uh tuesday would be kind of tuesday like that would be more of like a what i'm feeling type of day if i wanted the this- get off the mound sometimes i would just to throw five or ten just really light just get a little more feel because you yeah, the day off then you're pitching in a couple of days just kind of want to get reacclimated, and the day before is is like a light stim lift just some med ball throws just some plyo stuff but uh yeah i'd say that was pretty much the week each week for me
1: so i, I this is this this was the thing that that used to drive me up a wall with when I played and with guys that, you know, coached as well. Just go in real quick about how important lifting is and continuing to also lift heavy and make sure you're ready to get on that. Like, how does that impact you on the mount Like, and maintaining your strength for the length of the season, because it's the age old thing. Oh, I can't lift in season. It's, You know, I'm going to be sore. I can't be sore for game day. So. Like, can you please just just put that to rest of how important lifting was for you through that routine?
0: Yeah, you, you have to, you have to lift. I know, I know. Like people are always like, "Oh, I'm gonna be sore." I'm like, "Well, that soreness is good because you're still gaining endurance and strength. That soreness is gonna go away. You can't be a baby about oh, my hammies are a little sore, my quads are a little tired, like my, like whatever." Like it's gonna happen. You're gonna be sore the whole year. But if you just go that whole season with no lifting, you're gonna like. By the time the season starts in April, by the time it's June, like mid June, you're gonna be toast. Even probably sooner than that. And as a pitcher, uh, it's really important because you're losing. You're losing strength during the season just throwing so throwing so much and having so many outings. It's important to regain to an extent. Try to regain some of that strength that you came in to the beginning of the season that you built up from the off season, trying to maintain that through the year so that by the end of the year, you're not just, you know, throwing 88 when you came into the year throwing 93, 95 in a way. So it's, it's, I, I've always been a huge weight room, like warm up act, like mobility guy. That's what I've always loved being in the weight room and doing that stuff. And I think that has helped me so much that COVID year lifting, four or five times a week i mean for me it really helped dramatic like a lot it took me to places that i didn't think i would be in in a long time
2: (laughs) yeah for anyone who's not watching on youtube uh just look up some pictures of colin he could play linebacker for uh, a lot (laughs) of people still um but you just mentioned something that um when i we first kind of get got to know each other was during covid the, the COVID stretch when you were home without a place to be, obviously like everyone else. And um I was lucky enough to be on the, the bullpen mound with you a handful of times during that stretch and and got to be around you a good bit. And it was like one, Labor Day weekend and you probably don't remember this, but Labor Day weekend you threw the best bullpen I've ever seen anyone throw. I think it was actually Labor Day. We were it was insane. <laughs> Um, I don't know. You probably won't remember it because it's just I'm a bullpen to, to you. But for me, it was like it was unbelievable. <laughs> I've never seen anyone. It was like 30 pitch bullpen and it was just insane. Um, But what that experience over COVID for you, Um, because obviously it was an unfortunate situation for a lot of people, but you you used it as an advantage. I mean, I feel like just for the the difference from the first time I saw you throw during that stretch to where when you went back to baseball finally and got the opportunity to leave and and go I think you went right to mini camp I don't remember exactly but like just that that stretch how important do you think that stretch was for you looking back on it because like you said you were lifting four to five times a week you were throwing a ton and I was so impressed like (laughs) here you were a minor league guy without a home and you were so routine oriented like it was like I I ended up knowing what you were doing every single day and where you were at at what time, because you were just on the same routine through that stretch. Was like looking back, do you think that break that you had and and that opportunity to just put in all that work, like you really benefited from that?
0: I would, I would say so.
2: Yeah. I mean,
0: as unfortunate COVID was, it was tough for a lot of people. I think I've always, I've always been, a guy, like you said, have a good routine. And the other thing that I liked always preach is just control what you can control. I, you can't control the COVID outbreak. You can't control there being no baseball. But what I can control is my daily routines and controlling what I'm doing so that at that time, if we got the call, I would still be ready. It wasn't like, oh, I got to scramble like, oh, crap, I haven't done anything in a while. It's I'm controlling myself, like I'm trying to control my career. This is I mean, right now, this is my life right now. I'm still going through it. But I'd say I really did benefit from that. I mean, lifting a lot. I was just fortunate that our gym was still open and that I still had a lot of friends here that were willing to, you know, go out and, you know, get together still, even with the pandemic going on and just play, you know, pick up games at, Newark National, just on a dirt field, just show up. <laughs> you have Brandon Walter there, forty man guy. Had a lot of guys just coming out. Uh, Andrew Bechtold just, just coming out and just playing. But that's, those are the two things that I like to. That I feel confident that I can say that I do well is having a really good routine and then just controlling what you can control. That was always the two things that I like to preach a lot. Yeah,
1: little do people know. COVID-19 was good for, and you guys get to hear my, my dog barking in the background, cause, probably because my fiance just got home. So I'm going to try to get through this as quick as possible before he goes nuts. But um, COVID-19 was really good for the fact that Colin and I spent probably three days a week golfing. I set yep. him up I the whole time it was, hey, you gotta work with this guy, Dan. Like you gotta work with this guy, you gotta work with this guy. And it finally came along like later midsummer, later in the summer. And I remember having a catch with Colin like one of the first times that him and Dan were working together and him just blowing up my hand and being like, God, thank God I don't play baseball anymore. But you talk about that that time you spent at Titus and, and those group that group of guys. Like, what was it like having those guys? with you through every step of it. Obviously Chaz was there, Chaz barrels, like everything you could talk a little bit about him and what makes him unique as a big leader. So (laughs) what was it like working with those guys?
0: I thought it was, it was really fun. I think, I, I think it was just nice to see that all of us still wanted to do something and not just say, uh, you know, screw it. Like the pan, like this pandemic, like we're just gonna hide and run. Like, Obviously, for some people, it was safe to, you know, stay away and stay healthy and stuff. But it was a lot of fun just being together and having that group to we, – we played pickup games every single Thursday. We would show up every Thursday. We'd, and then we got to a point where we were playing like nine, ten innings. We'd have a full slate of guys out there. And it was awesome because I had I had no idea who Chas McCormick was at all. And then he shows up and I'm like, who is this guy? First at bat barrel, next at bat barrel. And it's just kind like, Hey, okay, like, and then I look him up. I'm like, wow, like that's, he's going to be a big leaguer soon. And then just having a Brandon Walter, Dominic Sabatino was there at the time still. And then uh, Andrew Beck told Javon fields, like a ton of like local D one guys, like pro guys still showing up and competing. Cause I mean, we really had nothing else to do. And you know showing up there it, it was a really good i think just stress reliever but it was also just really really impressive that we all just kept showing up each week just just in case like you we never knew like if we were ever gonna go back we were just like just in case let's just keep going but i thought that was i really enjoyed our time that whole summer just showing up on random fields every thursday and just playing
1: <laughs> yeah it you told me um when we were talking about Chaz for one of the first times, it was so funny. What what you said about him was like just his approach and how like you would like sneak, like he would get big with less than two strikes and like you'd sneak a heater by him and it'd be mm-hmm. like, and you'd be like, Oh, like, and then he'd get to two strikes and he'd just be like, all right, no factor. Like here's one coming right back at your forehead. Like yes. he would just like, he would try to go bridge like early in counts and then just go like, all right, it's like, I'm down Oh two. Like now I really just got to find a barrel and he would always yeah. hit something a hundred plus.
0: He was, he, he was tough. I don't think, I don't think I had much success trying to get him <laughs> out those couple, those couple times we got to face each other, but I mean, it was a good opportunity. Again, like, you're, I mean, I, we know now he's been in the big leagues two years like i can say that i pitched against that guy and like no like he still definitely had a big league approach back then and so it's nice to see like how his approach was and then kind of take that into other other hitters you can't really compare a lot of guys but you can compare some things to you know things like that
2: yeah i mean you took then you took that after covid you you obviously had an unbelievable 2021 when you were you, you got back in in, in lansing and i uh, kind of carried that into this year where you had some success and when you got back like think back and and when you got to you know i think you ended up going to mini camp right with the big league squad and i know you were in the bullpen for some big league games how confident mm-hmm. did like this that stretch make you Where you just like it felt like you were just i remember when you left it was like oh like we were all talking and it was like He's going to have a great year because he put in all this work and what he's looking like now. How confident were you when you then got to Arizona that year? I think it really didn't
0: like probably click till like probably late summer and then going to instructs. It was like it was like okay, like I think I have a shot at this. Like wow, like I think uh, it could happen one day. Obviously, I just gotta keep working hard and stuff. But yeah. I don't think it was until I got the instructs and had some success there where i was like okay like something can happen here like i need to keep going and i you know took that into the next like took that in the 2021 it was like you can do this like you're not just here just just to be here you're here for a reason and you need to keep working you know keep working your butt off because you have a chance to do it
2: yeah i remember i'll never forget we would uh there was a couple of times where our head coach at Goldie uh, came out and I think he saw you throw a couple of times. And I just, I'll never forget. I think you might've, you came to a, a winter practice, I think that year before you left mm-hmm. and uh, you're hanging out. And I remember afterwards, uh, Skipper was just like, kid's going to be a big ligger." And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it was cool for us to just see kind of that just growth from you and just, and then you, again, you obviously had an unbelievable year. Um, what do you like, for you, I'm going to kind of go back into. Sorry for bringing up COVID, everyone. Uh, hopefully, no one has PTSD here. Uh, but just going back into the pitching side of things, for you, you talk about like you're primarily a fastball guy, right? So what do, what are some of the things that you think about when like you ha- when you have a good fastball that day? What does that look like? Because I know for you, it's not all just about your velocity.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd say I. I don't like to use, like, analytics a lot, but, I mean, I like to use it a good amount. I mean, we'd have it in a dugout. When I knew my fastball was good, it was when, like, my tilt was at, to like, 1230, 1245, when I knew I was behind it and backspinning spinning it, and I was getting swings and misses up in the zone. So I would like to use that as, like, a tool each game, like, making sure I'm not too much on the side of it and kind of losing what I – what you know what I think I have really good vertical fastball and so I'd like to use that tool each outing to make sure that I was behind the ball in a way so that you know I could get the most swings and misses instead of just having you know like a 1 1 o'clock tilt where it's just kind of a, a BP fastball if I knew I was behind the ball and on top of it I knew I was going to have a good day
2: What's the mental cue for you on that? Are you just, is it a visual thing? Like, are you like, all right, if I'm looking at like the top of the catcher's mask or is it something like, okay, you're just thinking about that, you know, that right there, like get behind the baseball.
0: That's all. That's all I try to think is stay, stay behind it as like as long as you can and just, you know, obviously finish through and stuff, but I, I have issues with my delivery. I fly open a little bit and I'm always a quad dominant guy. I've been trying to work on that, but when I knew I was when I was on was when I was backspinning it, but I didn't really have much of a cue. I don't think. I think it kind of just comes like natural, like when I just kind of know like oh it's like that's that's good today, um, but it was more just stay behind as long as I can, and just drive through the catcher's mask.
1: So you talk about getting to 1230 and 1245. And is that something that you look at or even have access to look at in game? Do you get that information? And if it's something that like, let's say you're, you're at 1230, like you do you pull your catcher and pitching coach aside and say like, hey, we can really get this up in the zone. I really think we can sneak it over some barrels. It feels good. I'm backspinning it well. And if you don't, vice versa, do you kind of abandon it? Think of it differently? Like, how does that process work?
0: wouldn't say like a fully abandoned maybe just like like not use it as much but uh our catchers were really good like a lot of the time they knew like when my fastball was good that day they said they would tell me like hey it's good today we need to use it up in the zone and obviously there would be days where it wasn't but I think uh having the catchers like knowing that it was on was also good because then you could be on the same game plan of how to attack hitters instead of like going back and forth like like that, like I think I have a good fastball, and in reality, the catcher knows that it's not a good fastball. <laughs> but I'd, I would say, I'd say I got a lot of help with like the catchers and just like, just I wouldn't sit there on the iPad all game, like oh each pitch, like I would just kind of look, like make sure, hey, am I behind the ball, coach? Like, am I behind it? Yeah, you're good. Okay, like let's work with that instead of trying to tinker with stuff that doesn't need to be tinkered with.
2: So then, let's talk a little bit about the slider because I know you're also you, you started there towards the end of the year to kind of go cutter a little bit, and you've also started to mix in a curveball um, at at one point there. Um, with the breaking stuff, what's kind of that process like for you, especially with trying like your middle of the season, and all of a sudden it's like okay, we're going to start throwing curveball and cutter, so. That had to have changed your bullpens, I would say, significantly. And obviously, like you said earlier, you're a guy who likes to treat it game-wise. Well, what's the process like of trying to like develop and design and, and shape new off-speed pitches when you're in the middle of a season and you know your start's coming up in four days?
0: Yeah, it was a little tough. I, like Being midseason, just kind of abandoning just like my slider, just say, hey, let's try something new. Like I'm in a pretty deep hole right now. Let's see if something else can make me a little bit more successful but um, I think when it came to like pitch design stuff like we had the track man so it was always nice to have like that instant feedback mm. I think obviously you can say like it passes the eye test like there's a lot of guys that just say oh like you know it looks good but sometimes I would like to like see the numbers to make sure like hey that's the shape I want that's the feel for it sort of thing so when I was learning the curveball, I mean, it wasn't much of a curveball. It was kind of like a slurve, like sometimes it'd be a slider, just kind of right. a loopy, whatever. But during the bullpens, it would be, hey, here's one. Okay, that was, you know, negative six, negative seven, like vertical. Like, okay, that's going in the right direction. That was the feel for it. Now what, what different feel do I have to get to negative nine, negative ten, like the negative 12, like the – I mean, some guys are – I've seen guys in our team that's had you know negative twenty vertical breaking balls, and they're just ridiculously good. But I like to use like the TrackMan tools so that I knew, hey, that was the feel for it. That's the shape you're going to get when you have that feel for it, sort of thing. Well, have, what sorry, your, Trevor,
2: yeah, no, you go, you go. Sorry, I have two. I have two follow ups from yeah, that because yeah. I, I mean I I can nerd out here a little bit. My first my <laughs> first follow up would be how important or not important. Was catch play for developing those pitches for you then? Because obviously you're getting on the mound once a week in between starts. So then what does mm-hmm. catch play become when you're trying to, to work on those?
0: Your catch play is the most important part of you. as a pitcher. It's the only, that's the only time of the day, obviously like in game or e-bullpen, that's the only time of the day where you are working on stuff. You can't just take that lightly. I'm just going to go play catch. It's like right. you have to have a plan each time you play catch. You need to have something that you are working on and by the end of catch play either have made some sort of strides to your goal or you figured it out. The catch play, I w- I mean, I would I'd always be the last guy playing catch. I always felt like I always felt like I was taking too long, but in reality, like I felt like I was doing a good job of making sure like I was accomplishing my goal for that day. And when I was learning the curveball, I was out there for a while. My catch my catch partner was Dave Leal. We would be out there f- you know, 10, 10 minutes after like throwing was over, and I'm still trying to figure it out. But it was important. Like that catch, you can't just take that lightly. You can't just right. go out there and play catch. Like you need to have something that you're working towards that day and try to find a way to at least accomplish it or make just little strides towards it.
2: And then when you're on the when you're on the mound and you have the TrackMan data in front of you, and, and we're talking, obviously, the eye test and everything. But when you're talking about digging in the numbers, you obviously just mentioned vert break. But how about spin, right? Because obviously, like, a big thing in it is mm-hmm. when you're throwing a curveball, I mean, spin becomes so important. So how much are you looking at spin and, and are you trying different things to like, hey, can I create more spin if I do this and and was there ever a moment and when you were making the decision to try and add the curveball like, hey, I have the spin on the fastball where I think I can also generate it top spin now to make it mm-hmm. be- become a breaking ball?
0: I've always like my fastball's always been uh, like around it's like twenty like twenty three hundred so like RPM. I think it's I think that might be around average nowadays. But uh I, we started working on the curveball because I always had like a decent vertical fastball and it'd be around like 1230, 1245. And so when I get on the mound for the curveball, it was always try to get your hand to that 6.30, 6.45, like 7 o'clock feel. And so when I was first learning it, I was like still kind of wrapping it around. I was around that 8 o'clock. And so I would I would throw a couple of those like, okay, that's the feel 8 o'clock. Now let's try a little bit more to get to that 7 o'clock. And then slowly each day, each week, because you're not just going to – some people can. Uh, like Some people are, have crazy talent. They can just pick up a right. ball, boom, curveball. Uh, but for me, like I have never thrown a curveball, so it was, took some time for me to figure out that feel for you know that twelve or that six o'clock spin to so make sure you had that vertical depth rather than that sweepiness. So I, I we uh, always like like to look at the tilts on our pitches. I think that's one of the most probably really important uh, analytic like point when it comes to like pitch repertoire stuff is hand position consistently being. 6.30, 6.30, 6.45, like you start getting to 7 o'clock. We had some pitchers um, on our team, like a lot of our starters say, hey, I, would, I would like walk over and like, hey, like it's a little loopy today. And he'd say, okay, thank you. Go out there and try to make an adjustment. And they tell the same thing to me, like, hey, it's a, it's a little slidery today, let's try and get on top, like sort of thing. So I always like the – I always love like the tilt on that, like on the track, man, because then you know like where your hand position is on each pitch you know what shape you're
2: going to get based off of that that's money that, that's so awesome so that's I awesome just, yeah and and for people for people who bash analytics like Colin is the perfect example of like I just want to put that sound bite everywhere for anytime anyone says anything bad in analytically because sure you don't have to dive in and fully understand all of it and Colin has even said that like He's not that big into analytics, but to have that instant feedback, to be able to make an adjustment and add a new freaking pitch in the middle of a minor league mm-hmm. season, like that's, that's huge, right? Like that's, why wouldn't you want to use that to your advantage? And and for me, it's just that's like right. to hear you, right. to like, hear you talk about just like, okay, yes, you understand. And if you didn't have track man, like how much harder would it be to like, know that I'm getting the tilt because like you said, okay, it passes the eye test, but if it's not, it get, if I can't get me? out there right, and now I can even yeah. make it back. okay, so I get it to a point where it's a good pitch. But now you even have an opportunity to make it a great pitch if you figure out one or two more things, right? Uh-huh.
0: That was always and you like, can
2: tunnel it. Mm-hmm.
0: That was when I first started throwing it. I think I was around like seven thirty, eight o'clock, and my pitching coach was like, "Don't worry, like don't try to immediately get to that six. Like, right. there's your feel for seven 30. The next, you know, next bullpen a little more, 7 o'clock, make it better and better. Like you said, you have an average pitch. You can make it above average. And then finally, after you get that feel, that instant feedback, it's a bang, bang, you know, above average elite pitch. So, I mean, I think a lot of people, you can, like a lot of people still, you know, try to pass the eye test, but there's some point, there's some like time where you have to Get some sort of data to like see that because technology in baseball has skyrocketed and has clearly shown that it's helping helping a lot of aspects of the game. Like some people dive into it too much, but there's certain things that I like to use, like you know, the tilt. It's something simple. Like I'm not like doing all these crazy calculations and stuff to like get the right spin, the right access, the right whatever.
2: But I like I I thought that it really helped me a lot this year. Right. And if, if yeah. not, right, if you completely turn a blind eye, you're going to fall behind, like you said. Like, yes, mm-hmm. if you want to just look at it but at some point you're just going to get passed up by everyone who's finding these uh-huh. avenues and using these resources mm-hmm. to become better. Exactly. It's there. Use it.
1: Well, and that's the biggest thing, too, is like you're talking about the instant feedback of knowing you're at 730. I'll be honest with you at the majority of levels without the concrete information, 730 looks a lot like 630. But I can guarantee you from a hitter's perspective at the double-A level, they see 730. They don't see 630. And there's a huge difference for that. And for these people that don't know, like, I mean, we we talk baseball all the time, Dan, I, and Colin. Colin's not a big analytics guy for anybody that, like, is out there. Like, they're hearing tilt. They're hearing 630. They're hearing this. They're hearing that. And they're probably Those like, well, simple. Yeah, and yeah, like it's, it's simple. simple. Like that's the baseline of of what you need to do to be successful because like 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 I'm saying like 7:30 gets rocked at double A. 6:30 gets wow. out. Same spin, same depth, same everything. You that thing pops out wrong when your fastball's at 12:30 and your curveball's coming out at 7:30. People see that. People mm-hmm. 100% see that and they see it right away. And when it's, you're facing athletes that are that good, it's it's hard to it's, get out.
0: It's still a feel thing, like like right. people that don't use the analytics, like you're still feeling it. Like, but then right. when you combine that, you can say, okay, that's the shape I'm gonna get when I'm in this position. I mean, the tilts, it's not even like it's not a crazy analytics. It's Just your hand position. It's just where the right. ball's spinning. It's just a simple which direction the ball's going. So it's really just a simple tool that can, for me, it it helps me a lot. And then going to the cutter, it was always make sure like 11 o'clock like that that money spot here's the feel for it boom good so then when you're playing you know go back to catch play when you're in catch play you remember that muscle memory you just keep building off of it next thing you know it's it's like it's
2: just like you're doing whatever you do it's just an everyday thing as a cutter enthusiast i just gotta ask um what when you were developing the cutter were you looking at any film of of big league guys who have thrown really good cutters I mean not at all you were just kind of I I was I think we had a couple teammates
0: that had some good cutters but I mean a cutter. it's just it's it was just simple as just just tilting the ball just slightly just like slightly and just still having the same intent right behind it but letting that seam, how the ball is tilted that way, it's going to come off. Run off
2: the middle finger.
0: The tilt, it's going to come off differently, and it's going to come off on that axis to get that to that little movement that you need. And Did you want you, your cutter you to shooting? rise? I think I was I was looking for, I mean, going, I mean talking analytic stuff, uh, I was looking like to be around like 8 to 10 vertical, and then obviously okay. the cutter, like, you know, one horizontal can still be considered a cutter even though it's technically going arm side anywhere from like one two to like negative any more than th- any more than like three is pretty good slider because then it gets super slidery so yep. i wanted to keep it like high intent as high of a velocity that i can but just tilt the ball a little bit and
2: just see where it goes were you, getting, were you getting pretty comfortable with that to the point of like, was that, was the reason for going to the cutter a little bit? Obviously, again, we've talked maybe some struggles with the slider, but was it like, okay, this, I know I can now comfortably get up and in with lefties with it? Because if you watch like a lot of um, guys in the big leagues last year, especially from the right side, um, instead of trying to just ride the four-seamer glove side up and into a lefty, which is to me is the toughest pitch to execute, really, mm-hmm. is trying to get glove side up and in with a four-seam fastball. So hard. Um, was up. it a lot of that, like, okay, now I can get up and in with the cutter to a lefty?
0: Yeah, I, I still struggled with it a little bit in fall. I mean, I learned it mid-season. I, right. I mean, I, I, I actually, I learned the, the curveball was mid-season. The cutter it was sort like of August, an interest, they were like, hey,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. this was this
0: was this was September. There was like, hey, September. I <laughs> her. I'm like, all right. So, I didn't I threw I threw maybe a handful of times in game, but in the we didn't have a whole lot of like track man and stuff like right. in the fall like, to really use. But, like you said, the uh, up and in fastball to a lefty, it's the hardest pitch to be on time for as a pitcher. And especially me, um I struggle quad dominant, fly open, arms so I'm my arms usually a tick late. So I always – like I struggled getting up and into lefties. I know a lot of guys do because you have to be – everything has to be on time perfect to yeah. throw that pitch. It's it's the hardest pitch. I think it's the hardest pitch to throw in baseball is down, away fastball or up and in fastball. It's it's tough. To so the glove side, but, yeah. Yeah. So this off season, I'm going to work on that, that cutter up and in the lefties because I got annihilated by lefties this year. I got crushed. And then last year I didn't, but I think that was just, you know, high A. Some guys weren't as experienced, like go get the double A. Some guys have been around for a couple of years. You get a lot of, you know, five to seven guys a lineup where you're like, oh, gosh. But I think that cutter, if I can get that consistently up and into a lefty, I think it can be very successful, just not for me, but for really anybody that's trying to get lefties out. Because every hitter I've talked to, they hate cutters up and in. Hate them. They don't like him and then they hate him down away because they're like oh it's a fastball and then it just saws off your bat they hate him so after hearing that i'm like hey let's give it a try
2: (laughs) (laughs) well for sure and for me too like if 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 you're riding and if you're able to get it where you're riding that same plane as the four seamer too and as trevor Mm -hmm. put get it with rise right so-called rise and you saw see guys in the big leagues again guys in the big leagues were doing it left and right this last year and and obviously i think corbin burns had a little bit to do with that because we watched a year he had where he was just carving people with it um but then mm-hmm. to just – create, if you're able to create that same plane that the fastball comes off, then it does almost become a secondary pitch because now you're it one, does. lefties aren't leaning out over, right? But then two, it looks like – if it's off the same plane as the four-seamer, now the four-seamer just got even more effective. If you've, if you've thrown two cutters yep. up and into a lefty, he's not leaning. Next thing you know, it's a four-seamer up and away, and, and he doesn't have a chance.
0: That's what – yep, that's what That's what I would say because I've been mean, struggling getting, getting in the lefties. And a lot of the time – with lefties, my ball is gonna, you know, start middle and kind of carry up and away. So if you can start that cutter in, and then hey, you say you're trying to throw it up and in, and it's so so what? It tails up and away. It's it's gonna be tough for them to recognize that really quick.
1: No, I mean that that's awesome, and, and obviously it's it's crazy to think about the development and and how you develop these pitchers these pitches and in the season too. I mean that's that's hard to do, and and that's obviously the balance of you know, being a minor leaguer and understanding that your success in terms of ERA and strikeouts per nine, walks per nine, all those things like that are not always linear to what's happening on the field, you know, and, and that's kind of the, the crazy part to me. And, you know, you talk about how this season was a roller coaster. So, you know, one of the things I've always been intrigued by, but I never pay enough attention because it's so late in the year is the Arizona Fall League. What was that experience like? Obviously, you said there and you went, you felt like you went there and had a little bit more success, um, you know, what was success to you in that, in that time frame, And also just highlight more of like the experience too, like what was it like to play against guys, you know, like Matt Mervis who had a phenomenal year and is probably going to break camp with the Cubs and, and you played with him this year and just other guys who are big names in, in the prospect world and, and future big leaguers. What, what was that experience like in, in being in Arizona this fall?
0: It was it was a fun experience. It was it was really cool just to see. I mean, all all the players there were <laughs> really good. It was it was nice just instantly like, de- defensively everybody made all the routine plays. That not just the routine plays they were making all the crazy plays. All the hitters were on time. They were ready. They were smart. They were diving in the analytical stuff like Matt Mervis, like you just talked about, but. I, th- I think I really enjoyed it a lot. I felt like it was just a change of scenery. I kind of just had like a little uh, just like something new to look, like somewhere new to be just like a new locker room, new, like a new area, just sort of like kind of like whew, chill out a little bit, like not stress so much, like kind of how I was in season, like those two months, it was tough. I mean, as a minor league baseball player, your window is so small to to keep moving up. It is so tight to get through, but Really enjoyed the fall league. Had a lot of fun with everybody. Met a lot of new people. And, I mean, one through nine, the lineup was like, it's a battle. Let's go. Let's go to work. And I felt like that helped me a lot because then my competitiveness started to really come out more. It was like, hey, you can do this still. You're going against this guy. Let's go. Like, you can still do this. And I'm happy with how it went. I felt like I've gained a lot more confidence going into the off season than I did or I would have if the season just ended how it did. But really enjoyed it a lot. It was a good experience. I'm happy that I got to go. I think my coordinator texted me like the second to last off day and said it, and I was like, I feel like it's a once-in-a-career chance to go out to the fall league and get an opportunity to pitch out there. So I'm grateful I got to go and, you know, had some success out there.
2: Who was the best hitter? I know you didn't get that many. Obviously, it's not that long of an experience, but who was the best hitter you think you face? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Jordan Walker, yeah, boy can, yeah. can play. He's tough. He's like,
0: he's a good. He's he's good. He's really good. I think uh, uh, faced him. I think I faced him like three or four times. Faced him. Uh, the, we we played them once during the season, and I was like, who the, who the heck is this kid? I'm like, right. this kid's got to be like some college. They so look him up. He's 20 years old. I'm like, wow, and. Uh, I think he hit a double off me like later in the game when we were playing him. But in the fall league, he was he was he seemed way more like mature just out there. Like he had a better plan. I mean, he's still twenty years old, like twenty one. He's still got time to grow. But um, he was just, he's just like this tall, big kid. Like he gets in the plate. You're like, where can I throw it? Like he's super lengthy. Can get to everything but he just had a good eye like had a good approach like he had a plan each at bat like it, well, he wasn't just going up there just to swing it was hey i'm looking for this pitch i'm not looking for that i'm not swinging at this i'm only swinging for this pitch sort of thing but yeah he's he's really good to <laughs> <laughs>
1: so you speak, you're you're talking about i know you actually mentioned him earlier in the in the in the show but what's it like to watch mason win uh spin the rock across the diamond no, he lets
2: it eat. Oh man, lets it eat. <laughs> <laughs> lets it eat. Lets
0: it eat. <laughs> it's it's impressive, and he's a young kid too. Him and Jordan Walker are mm-hmm. so they're going to be good for them. And in I mean, it could be it could be next year. It Could be yeah, I mean, right in April. But he he's got a good arm. He's he's a good kid too. I he I remember like playing against him, and he was always like chatting to everybody, like talking with everybody. Like it was like we were just having a good time. But yeah, he can. He can throw. I'd like to see him on the mound. I'm sure he could get up there too. <laughs> he, yeah,
1: he he is a he was a two way. Yes. I don't. I know they they put him at shortstop, for, but like he was drafted as a two way. Um, they were looking at it, but he he could he was a lot of people thought he'd be a top talent both as a shortstop and as a pitcher because of that. Exactly what you said. So I think he'd
0: uh, be in the field, he's very fast and yes, has a good at the plate and obviously yep. has the. As a
1: hose it's kind of just more all arm on the mound at least when he you know from a positional position positional player standpoint he's a little bit more well-rounded than he was Mm -hmm. on the mound um one more question about the season I do want to ask you about some other things I know we've run deep here but I just enjoy this conversation so much I don't I don't mind hanging on to it for a little bit more um best guy who clipped you and (laughs) best guy you struck out this year, Ooh. biggest names for Best each guy. other.
0: Best guy that like took deep. <sighs> oh, um, I'd say uh, from Frisco, Jonathan Ornalis I don't know if that name rings a bell. For he, me, it
1: does. Yes, I don't know for most of our listeners.
0: He he took me deep, pretty good in the first inning. The first time we played them, I was always, always had some issues trying to figure him out a little bit. He was just a very like calm, like relaxed, like had a plan sort of hitter. Um, let's try to think of some other guys. Definitely him. He was he was very good. Um, let me think of other guys. I can't think don't, of any. Other
1: guys. Don't miss the boat on who who you got too. Yeah, like, no, you I love yourself gone. a little bit. <laughs>
2: yeah, let's. Trev loves whenever we guests done. on. Trev loves digging up the bodies that are buried. <laughs> That's like his favorite uh, thing to do. So you might as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> first batter first batter this year is Corbin Carroll I struck him out there you that's, go okay, that's, that's, yep, that's a good that one. is
1: the that is the name like in <laughs> prospect think it, so, um, sure. you don't have to go very far on many prospect lists um, one more i I thought of another question just off of what you saw this year who's the best big leaguer you saw like who's the in your mind the future like guy that is gonna be a household name out of everybody you saw this year
0: the oh oh I would say Jordan Walker again. I'd probably have to say him. Um, I'm just trying to not, not pick him each time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tough no. look for the A's that he didn't name a teammate here.
0: I mean, Soderstrom from us. <laughs> there, you go. Yeah. there you go. He's him, him Geloff. Uh, yeah. I'd say both Delaware of those guy.
2: Delaware guy. Yeah,
0: Delaware,
2: man. Some athletes I'd up say, there in that but, little state.
0: I would say the fact that, I mean – Soderstrom was a high schooler and ended up in AAA this year. Was like I feel like you don't see that like no. a lot. Like, you don't see I feel like you don't see that nowadays. Like you used to before, where you just get a guy from high school and put him in AA. And next to you know he's in the, like Juan Soto. I mean, different international, but um, and then Geloff. I mean, to be your first year, throw yourself right in the AA and hit 300 with 14 home runs or whatever. I mean, he got hurt during the season, missed you know, four or five weeks, and still ended up in AAA, and is probably has a good shot of breaking next year. And hmm. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Soderstrom didn't either, but I still think they'll maybe take their time with him. But yeah, those two guys were, they were incredible all year.
2: Really good. What's it like being in a clubhouse with guys like that? Just like how much, how much, what's that environment like to be around guys who, you know, are just like different.
0: Um, It's, like everybody talks about it it's it's more of like i'm sure like soderstrom doesn't know like we've definitely messed with him a lot like hey kid you're just a kid like whatever (laughs) like stuff but a lot of us like would talk to each other just like hey like he's different yeah it wasn't no it wasn't we would never like go too much in depth like that but it was just like he's different like you can just see it like there's something special about him that Nobody else really has, and then when he gets to the plate, has his that bat. You're like, okay, like there's something there that is going to come out soon in the big leagues, and when it does, it's going to be a force to be reckoned with because he's really good.
2: It's just crazy to think about how good and how talented you have to be for to be at that level and have guys talking like that. You know what I mean? Like it, it's not yeah. like you know. It, it's as you go up, obviously, like it's crazier and crazier. Like to to. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure when when you hear big leaders talk about how good like Juan Soto is and, and guys like that, it's like you you know he must be insane. Because like even yeah. at the double A level, like to have a bunch of other guys who are super talented and we're all have mm-hmm. always been the best player on their team to sit the there and be like different. Right. It's
0: insane. The whole man. team. A lot of the older guys too, like he's coming around, they're like, Hey, he's probably one of the better guys I've seen in my oh. career. Like That's... you can just you just really just can pick up on I mean It's just playing baseball all these years, like playing with so many guys, like seeing thousands of players. You remember those kids that stick out. You're just like, that's, that's somebody different that I haven't seen before.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome, and that's I mean, half of the conversations I feel like me and you have always turn into like that. It's like, what do you think about this guy? Like, how's this go? Like, and just getting your perspective, being able because you're, you know, I feel like you're a great baseball IA. Like, you're pretty honest about that stuff, and you, you usually are pretty accurate. It's not like you don't understand those kind of things and and how those guys go. And also, it's just you. You're humble with it, too. So it's awesome to kind of hear how much you compliment these guys, even if they are hitters or, or opponents and, and things like that. Um, You know, one yeah, of the yeah. things that do. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. One of the things I did want to ask you about is Dan and I, the last couple of episodes, obviously, we had Marshall on two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about the transfer portal and how it impacted baseball. You know, you played, you know, from Dan and I's perspective, we talked a lot about big picture division one, college baseball, ACC, SEC. That's the pinnacle of it. You were there three years. How do you think this changes division one baseball? Obviously college football, college basketball is a different, you know, lens. But when you look at college baseball for the for the foreseeable future with the transfer portal, like could, can you even picture living in an era like that?
0: It's it's going to be strange because it's just going to be I, – I could, it could be crazy just kids just going to school for a year, leaving school, a year, leaving, like that sort of thing. But, I mean, I don't really know how Like, – I'm not like, – so is that what they're doing this year? It's a one-year you can leave?
2: Yeah, so it's a one-year transfer ex- exception. So, like, instead of, you know, back in the day when you played where if you transferred, you'd sit out a year <laughs> – yeah, it's free yeah. agent, man. Like you can you can walk and you can walk to teams in your conference. There's no more putting limitations on it that coaches were able to do. Like, no, like you can go. I mean, uh, Tommy Tanks was the freshman of the year in the ACC. He was at NC State. And now he's at uh, LSU. LSU. Yep. LSU. LSU. So like you just you just roll. And I mean, and yeah. as as crazy as it's going to be in baseball, college football and basketball are being even wilder. um because i mean look last year in football just as a quick example uh georgia wins the national championship jermaine burton's probably their one or two receiver on that team and he was playing at alabama this fall so it's just different so i have to ask looking back would you have been at wake forest for three years yeah yeah okay (laughs) i think i would have i think coming coming in
0: the freshman year um i've i've looking back at it like I feel like I was like I had no idea what was going to happen. I was just like, I'm going to school. Like I'm just going to school to play baseball. And that fall, I mean, I got hurt a little bit. I had some issues. Like wasn't really sure like how things were going to work out. But I'd say I, I would have stayed after my freshman year. I felt like I was in a good spot to continue to get opportunities to play at Wake. So I think I would have stayed there. I mean, after our freshman year run, you know, gone to the Supers and a game away from Omaha, I don't think I would have just, you know, jumped ship and just gone to a different school right away after that. But I think I just liked the, like the group of guys we had, like coaching staffs were great. Like all the teammates had a lot of fun. I don't think I would have. I don't think I would have transferred out.
1: That. It's such an interesting question because like I can like I know you like I've known you since you know I, me and you stand next to each other you got to probably a foot on me I, I used to be taller than Colin like for those that don't know like that's no one, that. no one believes that.
2: No one believes that exactly.
1: <laughs> like, but uh <laughs> but it's so funny to think about that because like in college baseball now it's like from a Wake Forest perspective especially when you're talking about 11.7 scholarships and that comes with college baseball. It's like Colin steps on the mound his freshman year in a super regional and punches out a couple guys with the bases loaded. He's got an exploding fastball. Like nowadays in college baseball, like Florida's pitching coach is calling you the next week I guarantee that and potentially they might have a booster who loves Florida baseball who wants to offer you a bag of money so you can pay for your tuition too yeah and they're like you can become you can come pitching st- pitching staff with Jackson Coar Brady Singer and Alex Fiedo, and you're going to come out and be the first guy out of the pen with Dane Dunning who's a big leaguer right like that that is college baseball Was that That's Florida pitching staff emotion. good yeah, like- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my god <laughs> exactly oh, yeah. like it's uh yeah. it, and so like you know uh, it, it's crazy to think about I'm not accusing you of lying and saying that you were you know you were boiled awake for us but like it's just the narrative and the experience nowadays just completely different you know when you when you came out and, and blew some fastballs by some guys and obviously that was probably the one of the first times you were really on draft radars like Florida's gonna remember that guy that does that and we saw Ch- Chase Dolander made the jump from south south uh southern georgia or um south 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 alabama one of those southern of the those states and
2: yeah direction and um
1: yeah bad podcasting and now he's at tennessee and now he's going to be the second overall pick i feel like
0: it's i feel like it'll take some time for like 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 the coaches and like the players to like get acclimated to like that possibility like I just shoved in front of. I mean, Vanderbilt. Next, you know, Corbin calls like, "Hey, I like you." It's like, whoa, like, this is this is something new. Like, I think if I was in that situation, I would be like, I would I wouldn't really know how to handle it. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, like, I'm playing for Wake Forest. I love this school. I've had a great time. Yet another school is calling me. It's like, mm-hmm. what do I do and- here? It's like I'm going to practice every day with yeah. my team with my coaches we're we're competing together playing together practicing together and i'm at home i'm in my dorm room calling four different coaches like hey how yeah. you doing oh what are you yeah. doing like i feel like it's i feel like it's gonna cause some issues like backstabbing guys like in mm-hmm. a way with like like players just like calling coaches like behind their backs and stuff like talking to them on the side sort of thing i feel like it's gonna take some time to get acclimated to it but I'm really not sure how it's going to go. I'm not sure if it's going to be crazy. Guys are just going to be jumping ship like, oh, they just offered me this. And now with players being able to get paid now, that's going to probably bring in a, a little bit of a factor. I'm not sure how it is with baseball, you know, money stuff. I know football and basketball, they you know, make the most money and have that have that uh, available for them. But mm-hmm. I'm sure like those factors might tie into it more than the aspect of just baseball in a way.
1: Yeah. And, and that's, that's the big thing too, from my perspective. And, you know, we didn't even, Dan and I didn't even talk about this last week, but with the 11.7 and how that factors into it, if you really get a guy like in the SEC, that's committed to really just paying for guys tuition, like flat out, like all I'm going to do is give you enough money to pay for your tuition on top of your scholarship like, mm-hmm. that's a game changer. Like, if I'm, and, and Wake's expensive. We don't have to go into yeah. the details of how much you paid in college, but it, 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 was, it wasn't much scholarship, let's put you, it that way. And, and you, you had a percentage.
0: Yeah. So, like, if you're, like, if someone's at Wake and they're on, you know, like a like a 25, 30% scholarship paying, I mean, I don't even know how much it is. They're probably paying, like, 60 like grand 40, a year, you now. And then next you know, like, NC State calls you, like, say you're an in-state kid, and they're like, hey, we're going to offer you this, it's like, Hey, mom and dad, like, can I help you guys out? Mm-hmm. And go to this school to save money for like later in life instead of like staying here in a way like so what like if I'm having success here, I'm gonna go to this school save hundred and fifty thousand dollars in money and be better off. So I feel like there's a lot of outside things that are gonna factor the transfer portal rather than the fact of hey, Van me. I want to go play for them just because mm-hmm. they're one built or you know. Mississippi, like, all those big SECAC schools. I think other stuff's going to tie in to transferring rather than I just want to go play here, play here sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and and it's so cool because, you know, I mean, it's not cool, but, you know, to think about it, it's such a deep conversation because you look at that Wake team that you guys had that, I mean, you, you'll you take it to your grave the fact that you, got, you think you should have been playing in Omaha, right? Like, that team, like, should've that was won. talented enough, like – I've heard you say it several times. I agree with you, and that was a very good Florida team that you guys had to play against, but in today's era, like how does that team stay together? Like I know we're not crying. Wake Forest is little you know you know school out in the middle of nowhere. They're a c c school, yes, they're all these things, but you know to develop that team like that team was built on player development in the group of guys that came in together, stayed together,
0: worked yeah, that, that, together
1: every like that group that lineup was all veteran guys who had been through uh, you know rough times good times and stuff like that it's like well the purity of college baseball is in that and now you might lose that you might lose that potential because you know Stu and gavin and all those guys that might not have been sec guys out of high school like the second they you know their sophomore year at wake they they were sec guys
0: I think they were, I think that's what made them so successful when it came to their junior, senior year, because they went through it. They went through the struggles. They all came in together. They went through it, you know, below 500 season their first year. Parker Dunchy was a, was a walk on, like a walk on two way and had struggles, was almost cut. Next thing you know, he's been in AAA for two years now, still on the brink of, you know, pitching in the big leagues. I think, those years of struggle and them coming in together and going year by year, rather than how it is nowadays. You know, I struggled this year. I'm just going to leave. That group stayed together, and when I showed up that my freshman year, it felt like it felt like they were so locked in and knew what they were doing, and they were already prepared because they already went through the tough times. Now they know what they need to do to be better. And what do you know? Next thing you know, we're a game away from Omaha. We're Ooh. almost there.
1: Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I, I, I love hearing about that team because I mean, it was fun to watch obviously because of you and, and obviously my connection to, to you and, and stuff like that, but just the team in general, I mean, it was, it, it was awesome. you could tell incredible it, it, it from the TV, you could tell that team had it, you know, and, and was good. Obviously, I mean, Wake Forest going to Omaha would be a, you know, a huge accomplishment for, for that school. And, and just, that's, that's like winning, that's like Florida winning a national championship. You know, that's like the pinnacle of, of what, you know, Wake Forest expectations are, you know, you go, you go to Omaha, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. So. um, I
0: think like when they first got there, it was like, Hey, let's make the ACC tournament. It was Mm -hmm. like, let's just make the conference tournament and they make it. And then it's like next year, it's like, let's, go to a regional like makes you know they're a three seed in the texas a&m regional and then it's like hey no like let's host one so it was like you're you have to start from you have to start from nothing sometimes and then by the time you're your are third year in you're like we're ready like makes you know we're hosting sweep the series go to florida you know have to face vieto singer and co-ard yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's oh. why I think, I think it might be an issue now is like hey like your freshman class comes in, like they struggle it's like let's find somewhere else yeah it's like let's let's kind of like change it and see if I can go somewhere else rather than let's kind of stay together, but I mean, people are different, some people like like that, they like change the scenery, moving in and out sort of thing, but we'll see how it's gonna be
1: mhm, definitely, definitely, and one of the last things I'll ask you about too is is just quick. What's the pitch clock going to be like for, for fans next year? How much did it, you know, I think if I remember correctly, it did affect you for a little bit. It was a change. Um, definitely. And it affected it. You know, how's it going to affect pitchers and ultimately do you like it? I know it made games go quicker. So what are your thoughts on that?
0: I'd I'd say it's going to be great for fans just like right off the bat games are quicker. Like you're not sitting there, you know, sometimes four or five hours, but from a fan's perspective, um like i mean they don't want to sit there for four or five hours watch a game that's right. just that's just like the everyday fan isn't going to sit there and watch you know a five-hour baseball game but i mean for us like i would sit there and watch a game you know four or five hours because you know we know a little bit of like the backstory of the game within the game like the situational stuff but uh it was a it was an adjustment at first um I think a lot of us didn't like it when it first started because we felt kind of rushed on the mound in a way. I always felt like – it always just felt like you get the ball back, like sometimes you take your breath, next thing you know, it's like, oh, I got five seconds to get this pitch off. It's like, oh, gosh. But I think as as the season went on, all of us kind of found out better routines like in-game on the mound so that obviously we were on time. I'd say the only thing that I didn't like about it was – um uh, as a pitcher you get in those situations where you got bases loaded you got one out two outs like you're struggling like you just need a breath you just need to take a second and sometimes like you couldn't do that because of the pitch clock so sometimes you would be on the mound like, like i'm tired like oh gosh like i need to find a way to relax but you really couldn't find a way to do that because you only had 14 seconds in between pitches and then going off of that uh what we would start doing is when we'd have guys on base, we'd tow the rubber. We would just step off because then you'd get more time, but then you only get three pickoffs now with mm. all the new rules. So that was also something that fi- or that went into that with the pitch clock sort of thing. But I would say we all enjoyed it. All of us, like towards the end of the year, we were like, this is great. Like We were playing an hour 58 games sometimes. We'd be done in two hours. It was like really good. But uh, I'm not sure how the big league guys will, you know, get acclimated to that. I'm sure it might take some time. There might be some arguments, some adjustment periods. But I think in the long haul, it's going to be good for baseball. But also just from a fan's perspective, I think it's going to help the fans, you know, be more into the game, you know, because there's going to be more action. There's not going to be all this waiting around, you know, 45 seconds in between pitches, you know, five or six minutes in between innings sort of thing. So I think it's going to help the game, and then I'm sure players will find ways to get acclimated to it. But there's pros and cons to everything. We can go back and forth about it all the time. But I, in my opinion, I think it's going to help. Yeah, I,
1: I agree. I'm I definitely agree. excited I'm to see. It. Got yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm just excited to see it. I think I don't think shortening the game in, in a way like it's where it doesn't affect gameplay, shortening the game is is a good thing and working with tempo and just like my opinion on all of these rule changes that we've talked about including banning the shift like it you're not going to notice it eventually and, and anyone up in arms about it just give it a chance, please because I'm short. Sure, right, like I'm sure it's going to be fine. Everybody will be okay. Yeah.
0: It got to a point where, like, we, we didn't even notice. Right. It was just, right. like, play on play. And the games just, like, over time just naturally got quicker just because guys were just used to it. So I, don't, I think it might take a year, maybe a year and a half, like, when the big leagues start using it. But I'm sure by the time, you know, twenty twenty four rolls around, it's just not even going to be a big deal anymore. It's just going to be – that's just a part of the game now.
2: Right. And how nice is it when getaway day isn't four hours long? <laughs> right <laughs>
0: and, right. like play a game at one o'clock like sometimes it was always like nine innings no more like i want this game under three hours because it would be tough you know get four or five hours actually you know six o'clock you on the bus getting home at 334 you're like oh my
2: gosh right like, right
0: i mean two hours like it doesn't seem like a lot but from a recovery standpoint like a body like fatigue like those two hours are Huge. Like the difference, just like feeling good and feeling really bad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I think
1: one of the things too that you know, Theo Epstein was on R two C two, C C Sabathia's podcast, and he's on the he heads the committee of the rule changes and you know all the research with all that. Um, so he went into pretty good detail about just everything and for lack of a better way i'm not i'm not saying this is what he said but minor leaguers were the test dummies and they've improved the pitch clock whereas umpires have the discretion to allow the pitcher to be a little slower with bases loaded things like that so the, yeah. even the the little quirks that you might complain about i think there's a little bit more time with runners on base if i'm not mistaken yeah, I think it's
0: eighteen or twenty with yeah. guys on I think the biggest is doing twenty with guys on base. I think we were around eighteen. But yes. Yeah. Some of the umpires are very chill with it, like in a situation like they might give you like a extra half second. And then there were some that yeah. were pretty strict on it. But in the fall yeah. they were in the in Arizona, they were pretty they were pretty strict about it. They were I think they were told like, Hey, we're gonna be on this, like you guys need to be ready. So I think yeah. during the season, it was kind of like a feel thing, like, let's feel this out, like, let's see how it is, and then, you know, go from there. So the fall was – it was very strict. It was like
1: – Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to be interesting. I think the umpires have to be hard in spring training, hard early in the year, and then once the playoffs come around, you're a little – you know, in the end of the season, you're able, once everybody's used to it and everybody's done arguing about it, then we're able to actually be yeah. lenient a little bit. And they're not going
0: to argue a couple seconds in, in the postseason. Like, yeah, I think when it comes postseason, like that's the, that's the most fun time of the year. In my opinion, yeah. I'll sit there. I don't care how long that game is. I'm going to sit there and watch it. But I think during the season, it's going to help. It's going to help a lot. Just really a fan standpoint to keep them in the game yeah. and, you know keep
1: the energy going awesome well i mean it's been a pleasure um you know obviously you, we're we're super fired up to have you back on here we will do it again um we'll have to check in definitely multiple times over the off season um checking in next fall or next spring um see how things are going obviously now that dan and i are Sorry. you know employed in other things other than baseball. Now we have time in uh, April and May to, to podcast about what you're doing in in AAA, hopefully, out in California in another time zone. Um, that, that'll be the hope. But any Vegas, last thoughts right? for
2: our
0: listeners? Las Vegas.
1: Vegas yeah, yeah Vegas we're That'd gonna have to go time. out and
2: see them is what you mean Trevor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes sir yes sir there's no doubt about that Colin any last thoughts for our listeners I know uh, we got a lot of college guys we got some coaches that listen to it just um, you know your perspective on on really anything
0: say so stick to your routine once you find one don't try and branch off don't go crazy stick to what works with you and and uh, like I said, control what you can control. Stop worrying about other stuff that is out of your way. Worry about what you have to do. Worry about stuff that you can control instead of worrying about other things. Those are the two things I like to preach. Good routine. Control all the controllables.
1: Love that. You've spoken like a true college baseball coach on a podcast. <laughs> I love it. It's, Unbelievable. All, it's all Coach <laughs> it's, all, it's,
2: it's amazing. It's all
1: Coach speak. Yeah. It's but it great. works, it's great. It works. It does. It does. We're not blowing smoke up your rear ends when we say those things just so you guys know. We aren't just saying it cuz Tim Corbin said it once on a podcast. Um that's not cool. <laughs> it's not. That is why a lot of coaches probably say it, but I actually believe those things. Um, All but
0: coaches said that. They always said that. Yeah. Just control, yeah. you can control especially in yeah. pro ball when you got 10 yeah. other, 20 other, 40 guys hunting for the same job. Just control. Yeah you can control you can't control what they're doing you can't control anything else control your day-to-day routines and everything else that you
1: can control I love it I love it and there were several times during this conversation where I was just sitting there saying man this is a just a great conversation about baseball like I was sitting back listening to you and Dan talk about it like and just like man so for our listeners out there obviously the if you like it, share with a couple friends. We think this podcast is is pretty valuable, in, in terms of what we bring to the table, a different perspective. So, the more friends you share with it, the more likes, the more subscribes we get. The more we get to do it. To be honest with you, hopefully, the more guests we get to have on, the more just stuff we get to bring to your guys' ears. So, um, you know, we appreciate everybody listening out there. We are on YouTube now, so make sure to subscribe to the page. We do go live when we do the episodes, um, but other than that.